Coming to you live from my apartment, it's Rob has a podcast. And now here's the guy who at one point in life watched Heroes and Red Hustler. I'm Rob Sesternino. Hello, I don't think I have a Red Hustler, Mike Bloom. Mike, uh, Mike Bloom, how are you? Hardiest hellos, my hardworking honorable ombre. How's it going? Yes, Mike, very excited to be here in the Survivor 35 preseason. Can you believe it? It's been a hot minute since we've talked American Survivor. Uh, and uh, to loosely quote Sidney Gillen, we do not need any more heat, baby. Uh, it's, it's, been, it's been a while, right? It's been, what, three months since the Game Changers finale? And while we've had some fantastic stuff to tide us over, Australian Survivor in the past few weeks, I know uh, some homebrewed versions like Survivor Washington just started up in the past couple of weeks, but... We are finally here. The seal has officially been broken. We have reached Survivor's 35th iteration. I could not be more excited. I'm even, you know, probably triply or quadruply excited more so than I usually am because this is uh, my first official season covering Survivor as a member of the press for Parade Magazine. I am diving headfirst into Survivor coverage, and hopefully I will not pull a Darnell Hamilton and lose the goggles (laughs) immediately. Well, first off, congratulations to you, Mike Bloom, uh, who is uh, taking over the Josh Wiggler beat on Parade.com. So, uh, great job. You came out today with your Meet the Full Cast of Survivor Heroes versus Healers versus Hustlers, which you could uh, at the recording time on Wednesday night, currently uh, on the front page of Parade.com. And of course, uh, you can access all of Mike's stuff when you follow him on Twitter. He is at a Mike Bloom type. So uh, looking forward to getting into everything Survivor HHH as we are officially kicking off the Survivor preseason on Rob Has a Podcast, the 16th season of Survivor that we're covering here on RHAP. Very excited about that, Mike. And let's hope it's a sweet 16. What car should we get, Survivor Triple H? Oh, uh, Pontiac Aztec, I think, is the appropriate car for that, (laughs) Mike. So uh, we actually uh, kicked off the uh, Survivor preseason earlier today when we published the great new podcast series that Josh Wiggler had been working on called First One out. Josh Wiggler went to Fiji and chronicled his entire experience meeting this new cast of heroes and healers and hustlers. He spoke to Jeff Probst. He's on the hunt for who will be the first one out from this season. I thought that he did a spectacular job. Taryn Armstrong edited it all together. It's a very NPR-style serial-esque series that he's going to be coming out with one new episode a week, which you can hear in the podcast feed for Rob Has a Podcast. And I'm so proud to even be loosely associated with this project. Yeah, I mean, it makes Serial Season 1 look like Serial Season 2, if we're being quite honest. Uh, (laughs) Josh Josh put out fantastic work. I've just listened to the first episode, and it is so, so interesting. And I'm so happy you had me on in this position in lieu of Josh, obviously, you know, swimming not only in that content, but all of the great interviews he's about to provide on Hollywood Reporter since he was on site as you mentioned. Uh, it's a nice front for the fact that I'm not only, you know, uh, shadowing Josh in a lot of portions of his life, but I'm actually aiming to uh, usurp him and take over parts of his life. Uh, it's the single white female uh, remake that nobody wanted to see, Married White Male. <laughs> okay. So, uh, of course, uh, you can check out everything that Josh is doing for The Hollywood Report. That he uh, had exclusive coverage down. He was the only press person down there for Survivor 35. So uh, he is really uh, the key man in terms of Survivor heroes versus healers versus hustlers. That's all up at thr.com slash Survivor. But one other big reveal that I have, which I haven't been able to tell anybody yet, is that while Josh Wiggler was on location in Fiji, he was able to get specific exclusive RHAP interviews that we are going to be playing on the podcast. So Josh Wiggler did a special 
10-minute RHAP only interview with each of the 18 contestants. We are going to start airing those coming up next week after Labor Day. We're going to be bringing you three of those a week. We're going to have two interviews per episode. I have not heard them. I'm going to be hearing them live for the first time on the podcast, and then Josh and I will talk about what the contestants said in response to a bunch of questions that I wrote that Josh asked them on location there in the preseason for Survivor 35. So very excited to have some exclusive content coming up for you guys and a lot of additional preseason podcasts on the way. Wow. So, I mean, rap is much like rap in the exclusive tracks that you're putting out now. <laughs> yes, yes. Very, very much so. It's like a hot the, track, hot track. <laughs> like the rap game. I know a lot of people are also asking, when is Corinne Kaplan going to come through and do her cast assessment? Well, we are still working out the logistics, but I can tell you that uh, just before this very phone call tonight, Mike Bloom, I was on a conference call with Max and Corinne, and uh, we were working out trying to figure out uh, when uh, we're going to get Corinne to do that. So uh, that is going to be coming up. Going to have Nicole through here to talk about this cast. So plenty of stuff coming up here as we are less than a month away from the premiere of Survivor 35, Mike. So a lot to unpack here in this episode, just basically giving you the bare bones of what you need to know about this new season in case you have not read all of the stuff that you and Josh and Gordon Holmes and Dalton Ross and CBS have put out there. We're compiling it all in one place for you guys. Yes, the bear bones, not to be confused with Ben the Marine, who calls himself a grizzly bear. Completely different bones. And not the guy from Star Trek either. Yes, no, definitely not. Uh, damn it, we're podcasters, not doctors. Okay. We're not healers either. There's <laughs> yeah, well, a whole tribe Dr. McCoy was a healer, so that could be in line with Star Trek Discovery. Who do you think Who do you think would be the hustler on the Enterprise? Let's talk original cast. It's tough. Uh, Scotty is probably a hustler. I could I could see Scotty. I mean, hustlers are all about if we're going by the Jeff Probst definition, which I'm sure we're about to get into. It's it's less about, you know, being the con man and more about, you know, con is the guy who came back in Star Trek, Two. No, that's that's the true hustler then. But uh, the hustlers are more about the actual like act of hustling, which is really working hard to essentially, you know, get your fill. And I feel like Scotty working in that poor engine room while people were beaming in and out of there all the time probably had his work in for him. I don't know if they were beaming into the engine room, but um, are you a Star Trek guy, Mike? I didn't even know this about you. I mean, if you can tell from my knowledge, I kind of am, but not entirely. I did go to the Star Trek experience for my 27th birthday last year on the USS Intrepid. (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, we're losing people, Mike. We gotta gotta bear down (laughs) and uh, we got to focus on uh, this news today about Survivor 35. And I guess we should start off with some of the things we learned in Josh's uh, interview with Jeff Probst about why they ended up with heroes and healers and hustlers. Yeah, so uh, I feel like this is the second year in a row where we get some interesting behind-the-scenes stories from Jeff Probst himself as to sort of how the sausage gets made, uh, the process behind casting this. Last year, I mean, you and I talked about the fact that uh, they revealed that they were looking to cast younger people, and they decided to go with this Millennials versus Gen X theme, though it started as Gen X versus Millennials. Uh, And so the story that Jeff gives Josh is that, you know, they were casting people just for a regular season, uh, and they basically started with uh, five different people, essentially, you know, from all walks of life. You have the Fisher, you have the the Marine, you have the Doctor, you have the Bellhop, Professor and Marianne, they're all there at the same time. I was going to say that these are all things said during a Westerosi wedding ceremony, right? This comes right before the bedding. Is this your Karnak, the Magnificent routine, (laughs) Rob? Yes. Uh, yeah, so so they looked at the cast in front of them, and they definitely had categories of heroes and hustlers. And again, I'm sure we'll talk about the connotation that might exist in hustlers and how that definition might vary from the way production is viewing it. But they still needed one more category for these six people that were sort of lumped together. And one word came to mind, healers. And there, and a, a beautiful alliteration was born. Okay, so we have alliteration and we have a season. Mike, do you care what the season is? I know that Jeff talked about, okay, well, these are positive attributes and this is how the world sees these people. But does it actually matter what the tribes are? Yeah, this is an interesting question because 
in the past, so these we this is obviously you could say probably like the fourth time we've seen this division, right? We've seen two iterations of BBB, Brains Beauty Brawn. We've seen one edition of Collar Wars, white collar, blue collar, no collar. And in both of those, in that phase before they mixed things together, you saw Jeff being pretty vocal about, you know, as a brain, how do you feel about this? Or, you know, as someone who works in the blue collar field. How do you relate to the people around you? This one's interesting because, as Jeff said, it's not necessarily about the way you see yourself, but I guess more so about the way people perceive you. So I wonder how exactly how he's going to be able to aim those types of pointed questions towards people if the reason why they're put in this position is because somebody else perceived them to be a hero, for example. I mean, it doesn't really hold a lot of water for me. I mean, I still don't understand how a parole officer is a healer, but let's not get too stuck on on this. Yeah, I don't know. I think the uh, the actuary as a hero uh, <laughs> might might be the, the b- bigger sticking point there. Okay, so it's uh, heroes versus healers versus hustlers. Uh, Jeff likes having these young people around. I think that that's something to watch over these next couple seasons of Survivor. Uh, not great news if you are an older person in the casting pool, what that might mean going forward. So Josh got some interesting wrinkles from Jeff in terms of something that they are planning to do to start off the game. Mike, I like this idea. Can you talk about what is happening with this episode one idol? Sure. So they're going to start with the marooning out on the ship. And before we do that, I want to go on a bit of a tangent. Uh, I did notice, I was thinking about this when Survivor 34 started. I believe every season since Survivor 31, we have had a form of a marooning where it's let's put these people on a ship or on some sort of truck or some mode of transport and Jeff gives them the go and then they're going to pillage as many supplies as they can. I know Jeff said in the article that he absolutely loves the chaos behind it. I just want to ask you overall, is that something you enjoy? Are you still getting a lot of enjoyment even though this is probably going to be the fifth iteration in a row that we see of this marooning? Well, I do think that the season ends up opening with more of an iconic shot. I feel like that they went back to that for Survivor Second Chance. And I feel like then there were a bunch of seasons in a row where they hadn't done something like that. I think that at least from like Blood versus Water and Kagiyan, it was a lot of like, all right, let's meet these tribes. Okay, we got, all right, Braun, what's that like? So it was a little bit more of the match chat than it was necessarily uh, sort of action to start things off. It doesn't really do a lot for me, but I understand why they do it. Yeah, uh, and I, I like it just because the old school lover in me loves the fact that it did harken back to, you know, the very first season when you have this montage that still almost gives me chills of just you opening this this uh, ship in the South China Sea with people randomly running around grabbing supplies and you have Jeff walking, weaving amongst them, talking exactly to the camera as to what the hell is going on here and trying to bring some sort of order out of the chaos. And I think it's it's a fun way to sort of I don't know, create some excitement at the very beginning of the game. But what's going to create even more excitement is something that's also been around for a few seasons, not as many in a row as uh, the marooning, but this idea of the secret advantage. Now, it seems like for right now, the legacy advantage is not in the game, but in lieu of the legacy advantage like they had in the previous two iterations, they are going to be including a, correct me if I'm wrong here, Rob, a one-time super idol where essentially the person who finds it is able to essentially, you know, nullify any votes that come their way at tribal council, even if they're voted out after the fact. But it only works at the very first tribal council that they attend. Yeah, I believe this is the chicken idol, no? <laughs> yeah, I might have to check my uh Sorry, sorry, Australian survivor uh, joke. And again, exactly. uh, sa- like, sa- uh, north, of, north of the equator. Okay, nobody even knows who AK is. <laughs> yeah. No, but I do like this idea. And uh, one of the other interesting wrinkles in terms of this is... Okay, so we're going to have an idol in play in the first episode. Uh, We've seen a necklace that is available for only the first vote. I know certainly in Micronesia that was a thing where you were able to get the immunity necklace uh, for the first vote. But here, this is an idol. And another interesting wrinkle about this is that of the three tribes, whoever finds the idol, if they're not going to tribal council, the holder of that day 
idol has to gift it to somebody from the losing tribe. They just get to pick somebody. So that idol is going to be in play at that first tribal council in that premiere episode no matter what. Yeah, it's interesting. It sort of combines, like you said, uh, there was a period in Survivor where we actually had this happen a lot. I know you mentioned Survivor Micronesia as a big example from when uh, Johnny Fairplay got a nice header into a canoe via Yao Man. Needed a healer. Uh, but act- Yes, exactly. Uh, needed a nice healer after that. Uh, but the, the two seasons afterwards actually had something very similar where Survivor Gabon had that opening challenge where you had to walk off that big-ass hill and GC, and I think it was Marcus, earned immunity at the first tribal council that they would attend and then in survivor 18 even though the advantage was not taken upon when sandy and sierra were both pissed and got voted out of their tribes temporarily they got to get flown back to their camp and were giving clues to look for an idol that could only be played at that first tribal council so it's something that survivor has sort of you know dallied with in the past but like you said we now have this additional wrinkle that sort of comes back in with the legacy advantage of being able to say you know if a member of the Hustlers tribe grabs that secret advantage, they don't pull an Andrea Belki and walk all over it while they're on the ship, uh, and and they're able they but they win immunity. They're able to say, okay, healers are going to tribal council. Let me pick out you know from the mat chat or maybe just by first impressions, who do I see as in trouble? Maybe I can throw them this idol, have them save themselves, and cause a lot of chaos at that camp. I'm really excited about this. I think that it should make for a really exciting premiere. I like Survivor playing around with stuff like this. Of course, it like starts off, you know, the more craziness you have in the beginning of a season, I think it could really set the tone for things that have to be played with an expiration date. I think that the problem with mm. the legacy advantage over these last couple seasons was that, okay, here's this thing that you got in the first episode you can use it on day 36 and it was just like okay and it didn't impact the season at all and then on day 36 somebody was just like okay i'm immune tonight and it didn't really deliver anything where if you can get a crazy tribal council to kick off the season that could set the tone the whole game yeah it's one of those uh i'd equate to like one of those savings bonds that has like a really high interest rate but you can't touch it for like 30 years uh it's essentially saying like well you get it's a lot of delayed gratification you're gonna get this big bounty at the end but you essentially have to sit on your hands and that doesn't necessarily make for the best tv uh i mean in both iterations of the legacy advantage we did see end up getting will to somebody else but i think you know the little uh library card like sign out sheet that existed for the legacy advantage was very very blank both times all things considered but i like your idea of things having expiration dates because that invites immediacy to Survivor. And granted, Survivor is not uh, more of a marathon game like Big Brother is, but I mean, one of the reasons why we got Advantage get in last time and why we lost poor Suri is because you had someone like Troyzan find an idol, what, like probably day nine, ten, and then essentially sat on it for the next. 20-something days and then was able to pull it out in the end, and that was one of the factors that led to this perfect storm that ended up in this very unprecedented situation. So this is going to encourage more intriguing gameplay in a shorter time frame rather than people doing, which honestly is good gameplay, sitting on things until uh, you necessarily need to do it. But at the same time, it might not make for the most exciting television until an opportune moment at the very end of the game. Mike, do we know if the idol can be played on another person like a regular idol can? So if the holder of this idol at that first tribal council, if they know they're not going to be the one going home, could they gift it to somebody else? Or is it the kind of thing where it needs, because it's played after the votes, that it needs to be where you have to have it in your possession before votes are cast? It's a good question. And maybe I'll answer this question with another question. I- I'm going to go with the super idol rules that we had when it was initially the Terry Deets Yule Kwan idol before, way before you know BCTP, before Tyler Perry. Uh, I'm trying to remember. I re- seem to recall that there was talk with them about how, hey, give me the idol so I can play it at the vote. So I'd like to assume that it is possible that 
like you said, as long as it's before the votes are read, someone can pass that idol off to somebody else to play as their own. But I'm not entirely sure about that. Yeah. And it has been a pretty rare thing to have happen in Survivor history, both uh, U.S. and Australian Survivor. I think uh, we might be at only like uh, maybe two times that we've had a uh, day three idol played at a tribal council. So uh, should be mm-hmm. very exciting going into this uh, premiere episode coming up on September 27th. Now, Mike, that is the day three immunity idol. Uh, the regular immunity idol will be back, but uh, Survivor has a little bit of a new wrinkle in terms of how to find these hidden immunity idols. We're going a little bit more artistic this time with the immunity idols. You know, I, I think we got sort of breadcrumbs of it when last year in Millennials versus Gen X, they decided to, you know, paint the sigils on coconuts and on, you know, other pieces of the scenery to see if people would be able to pay attention. Uh, this time, they are really taking that to heart, and it seems like they are, from what we're to be believed, painting the clues literally on the trees to see if people are able to notice and decipher what's going on. And it's sort of, I guess, shades of Survivor Nicaragua. I feel like that's the closest that they've done to this, where it was like post-Russell that Survivor felt like, okay, well, people are finding the idols too easily, so Mm -hmm. we're going to give them like a map, and then you're going to have to like uh, walk a bunch of uh, paces, Uh, shout out to Sandy, and you had to like dig things up with a treasure map, and it looks like that we're going to have like a treasure map that is going to be part of the scenery out there again Mm -hmm. i don't know if this ultimately adds anything to it other than hiding the idols at the challenges i think that people are just gonna find the idols i don't know how much you could dress up the hunt for the hidden immunity idol yeah i mean in survivor nicaragua i believe they actually called it the russell factor which uh, i am not surprised uh if it was on the short list of the names for russell's ultimate podcast there and Mike, another thing that Survivor is going to be changing up this season is that we had a lot of talk in the preseason of Survivor Game Changers about how there was going to be a new wrinkle in the game where if there was a tie vote at Tribal Council, then we would immediately go to Rocks after the vote. It was something that ultimately never showed up in the televised version of the show. So while we didn't have any votes that went to a tie, there was also some talk that maybe the idea for that rule backfired where people were actually fearful of flipping their vote by not wanting to inadvertently launch the tie-breaking mechanism. That's gone, Mike. Yeah, we have reverted back to old rules. I think it's also interesting, and I think we can sort of count the rest of our discussion around the mindset of who essentially when these people were leaving to go play i believe they started filming in fiji on april 3rd which i think might have been around the time that it was either the malcolm or the jt boot in game changers but the 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 most recent entire season that they saw was Survivor Millennials versus Gen X. And you can feel this in Josh's talk with Jeff. It seems like Millennials versus Gen X left a very genuine Gen X impression on the show in the way that they want to cast or the way they want to sort of, you know, have people perceive the game. But it might also leave an impression on the players in the way that, like, you know, last fall they saw a rock draw happen. Now that the rules are announced back to, okay, these are the rules behind, you know, the way these ties work. Since they saw something recently happen, maybe there's a chance that these people are going to be more willing now to say, okay, we're back to the original rules. I saw the insanity that a rock draw produced and how it might benefit people. Maybe I'm more willing to do that. Yeah, we'll see if players end up being less afraid to go to a rock draw or more afraid. I mean, I do think that uh, we did see people go to rocks, but I feel like that that was also not necessarily celebrated in the same way that Sierra was. I felt like that at the time that the Jessica Lewis tie vote unrang that bell of Sierra going to the tie vote there. That This is how you play the game where it was like, yeah, why didn't you flip? Why didn't you make a move at that spot for everybody that had to go? To rock so it'll be interesting to see what the world view on ties is coming into this season 
Mike, uh, of course, uh, we have our three tribes. Uh, you did your write-up about all of these players for Parade.com. You want to talk through the three tribes and talk about any of the standouts that you've seen? Sure, and I can sort of uh, talk a little bit about this as well. You sort of mentioned it earlier, but this is a very young cast, on average, especially compared to the previous two seasons, which skewed a little bit older. I believe uh, the great Jeff Pittman from True Dork Time, I think they gave the average age of this cast to be around like 30.6. And just so we sort of parse this into history, um, Millennials versus Gen X had an average age of 33. Game Changers had an average age of about 36 and a half. So that's considerably younger. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think our oldest person is uh, Mike, who is uh, in his early 40s. Uh, and not to say that that indicates it's going to necessarily be a, a subpar cast or a subpar season. Actually, you know, some of the, the, the seasons that have a similar age average to Triple H are, you know, Caramoan, Pearl Islands, and China are actually all in that similar range. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm of the mindset that age is actually a number. Uh, it's, it actually is just a number. That's what I should, I should okay, mean. Yeah, I think is, we're all in the mindset age is a number. Age is a number. It's the it's your obvious fact of the day from Mike Bloom. <laughs> age is just a number because I think, I think there's another interesting wrinkle in here as well, which is the fact that despite maybe a younger average age compared to your, uh, another Survivor cast, we have a lot of parents on this season. I counted... Six, one third of the cast are parents in some way, shape, or form. Lauren, Katrina, Joe, Ben, Chrissy, and Mike are all parents. Now, now you can probably speak firsthand to this, Rob, that I feel like being a parent probably has you living a considerably different lifestyle and thinking about things differently than someone who's the same age as you who does not have any children. I do think that there is a little bit of the Sarah Lucina factor where Sarah Lucina ended up playing the first time and she, you know, had her issues the first time around. But I think that she's sort of like the poster person for, hey, I had a kid, now I need to take this game seriously and I need to win this money because this isn't just a fleeting thing where I want to be a celebrity. This is my opportunity to really go for it and bring home this money for my family. So I don't know if it necessarily is going to be like a one-size-fits-all with all of these people that have kids. Like That might be an interesting stat to look at of like how aggressively do people play the game and having kids versus not having kids or being a parent and you know at what age if we could sort of quantify aggressive play in the modern era i think that would be an interesting discussion yeah i mean i'm definitely saying you know hashtag not all parents i think we've seen like the various ways in which mothers and fathers play the game and how it might negative negatively affect them as well we had that period in the mid-20s where you had these older women these mothers get to the fit to the finals and essentially get lambasted for making these moves because nobody nobody wants to have the anti-sierra nobody wants their mom to vote them out <laughs> essentially but i'm mean, the thing that was really interesting to me is the fact that you know you have these parents and then you also have some of these kids who are in their early 20s who might have be a little less goal oriented who might be a little bit more about you know spending money uh however they'd like to and not necessarily focusing uh you know mouths to feed it almost brings to mind for me the end game of survivor cambodia now i don't want to necessarily paint the reason why spencer blood so lost is essentially because you know of his age but i think it's interesting looking at the dynamic of that jury where there were a lot of parents and you're looking at these two people in jeremy and spencer no offense to tasha where you know jeremy is someone who is about to have another child uh, and already has a child and has a family building and Spencer is a young kid in his mid-20s and they're looked upon in two completely different ways. So just looking at it through that microcosm, I do wonder if, despite the fact that we have people that are pretty close in age with a couple of outliers, how exactly that mentality might separate those parents from those that are not. But unlike in Millennials versus uh, Gen X, we do not have tribes that are divided by age where we will have most of those parents all in one group that they're going to be interspersed uh, between these three tribes. So, Mike, first up is the Heroes tribe, which is Alan, Ashley, Ben, Chrissy, 
John, a.k.a. JP, and Katrina. Do you have any favorites from this group? Who thought that JP from Survivor Vanuatu is going to come back and nobody... <laughs> undercover JP. JP. Undercover JP, yes. Yes, maybe you can find some hot amber this time uh, to build that fire. Yeah, and I, it's interesting that you say, you know, oh, it seems like these parents are pretty spread out amongst the group because this is by far the oldest tribe. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we have JP and, and Ashley who are both in their mid-20s, but... Alan and Ben are in their early 30s, and you have Chrissy and Katrina, who, you know, I misspoke before. I don't think Mike's actually not the oldest member. I believe both of them are the oldest members of this cast at 46 46. apiece. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting in that this is going to be a primarily older group, and we'll have to see exactly if people decide to band together. I mean, I think this is a great opportunity to talk about probably the two biggest quote-unquote names in the cast. I put the quotes around them because as someone who does not dally in sports, I had no idea who they were before coming into this cast, but I have been enlightened by their achievements. You mentioned them before. Alan Ball, who is a retired NFL player, an American beauty, truly. And then we have uh, Katrina Radke, who is an, a former Olympic swimmer. Okay, and so uh, I think that the heroes have a bit of an advantage because I feel like that, much like the blue collar tribe i do feel like that there is a mentality around the heroes where i feel like that they might feel bonded by their tribe name more so than the hustlers or the healers will like i feel like that this is going to be the most cohesive unit of the three that's a good point and again it might come back to like the individual mentalities of these people as well you know they they might think more cohesively as a group and what's best for the tribe rather than people saying, you know, I want to strike out on my own and play this game. So I think that, you know, if you could predict a tribe who holds together strong and ends up like sticking through to that eventual mix up, I could see Levu, the heroes tribe, doing very well in that perspective. Like this group is athletic and they have a lot of occupations that are people that are used to following orders, whether it's an NFL player, whether it's a Marine, uh, whether it's it's a firefighter or an Olympian. There are jobs and occupations where people are used to having a coach or a boss sort of barking orders at them, being in some sort of a formation that they all can perform well under pressure and in challenges. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if this group goes through the whole pre-swap era and just works hard, doesn't go to a tribal council, and is able to go into the swap with all six members. Yeah, and in terms of, you know, I guess highlights, I mean, from a character perspective, Ben really sticks out to me, the former Marine. We saw him be highlighted in Jeff's preview at the end of the Game Changers finale. He already has a fantastic sound clip with his interview with Josh on that first podcast you mentioned before. I can't wait to hear more. He just sounds like a really fun character. He's a, called himself a grizzly bear, as I mentioned before. He basically looks like the love child of uh, Ralph Kaiser and Rick Nelson, uh, who Whoa. recently came who recently came to the forefront in your uh, lovely buddy. Utah. Yeah, your lovely Utah coverage. He's got the hat and everything. Yeah. Okay. So uh, people are clamoring more Rick Nelson. They loved him at Rahapcon this weekend. Well, you can get his uh, clone child. It's as if, you know, him and uh, and the rooster stepped, not not Matt Quinlan, but rooster stepped into a, a machine a la the fly and Ben came crawling out. All right. Uh, Mike, anything else on the Heroes Tribe? We want to talk about some healers. Let's let's get some healing done. Let's let's talk about this middle tribe, the Soko tribe, not to be confused with the So Kim tribe, because this tribe is anything but neutral. The Soko tribe. Uh, we have Cole. We have Desi. We have Jessica. We have Joe. We have Mike and we have Rourke. Uh, do you have any standouts here, Mike? I mean, I think Rourke is definitely, at least from her bio perspective, uh, definitely stands out, which makes sense for someone who claims herself to be the love child of Sophie Clark and Courtney Yates. Sophie is uh, getting a lot of like survivor contestant fan fiction written about her. It seems like she's in every sort of like OTP that goes on with these contestants. Yeah, so she does have a lot of different pairings. Now, 
Rourke, uh, very active in the Survivor community. I know that she is uh, very active with the ATF podcast, but Rourke, believe it or not, Mike, she has appeared on Rob Has a Podcast. Do you remember this? I believe I was in the room in one fateful day in Chicago last July when during your Survivor podcast, uh, she went up to the aforementioned Spencer Bledsoe and tried to challenge him on Gilmore Girls trivia. Yeah, at the original Rehapcon back in Chicago last summer, Rourke was there. And we just knew her as a Survivor fan at the time. And she participated in a battle against uh, the aforementioned Spencer Bledsoe. And I had taken the names of all of the Gilmore Girls episodes and the names of all the Survivor episodes. And we had a game of here is an episode title. Was this an episode of Gilmore Girls or was this an episode of Survivor? I think she beat Spencer. I'm not exactly sure. Maybe I'm getting her confused with Jeremy. (laughs) Uh, Well, does this mean that? a la, you know, Big Brother Jeopardy back in the day. Is there going to be a rematch that's been clamoring for once Rourke eventually gets her way off of the show? <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, we'll see if we can work on that at some point in the future. So that is Rourke. I really enjoyed hearing from Mike in mm-hmm. Josh's first one out. I thought he was good. Yes, uh, I mean, I'm always going to sympathize with a Nebishi Jew named Mike on reality TV. It's uh, my spirit animal in a way. But uh, yeah, he's a he's a urologist, he's a surgeon, but he seems like such a, an interesting personality. And he is a diehard Survivor fan, so much so that he not only named his second son Ethan, but he also lived in proximity to Ethan Zahn in uh, New York City at one point in time, back when Ethan Zahn was his wife's hall pass. Whoa, okay. Well, I mean, in proximity in Manhattan, I feel like that that's probably the one place where, you know, there's there are a lot of people there. I mean, he said he saw Ethan every week uh, and they were they lived within like 3 blocks of each other. Uh and he jokes that, you know, I'm just lucky that the kid came out looking like me, but yeah, it seems like he's a he's a true survivor fan. Uh, I mean, the interesting thing about this tribe is that they are definitely uh not the most skewed tribe in terms of age. Uh comparatively to the one that we're about to speak about, so that's good. But I feel like Mike is the one that sort of sticks out like the sore thumb. And we've seen that in the past. We've seen people like Ty stick out from the beginning on the Beauty Tribe, and he ends up to do really well in the game. So I don't think this is really, you know, a forecast as to uh, Mike's doom. But I'm not entirely sure. I feel like, you know, Mike might be someone to look to in the very beginning as, oh, this guy doesn't necessarily fit in with the vibe we have going on. Yeah, I actually, I really like this tribe. Uh, I like Desi. I like this Jessica. And I think that Joe, Joe, the probation officer, I feel like that he is the wild card to watch this season. Oh, yeah, he's cloney. He's uh, he essentially looks Mike, like... Uh, I'm telling you, I've made clones. I've got the clones. They're in my pocket. This one is named Joe. I'm going to send him out there. He is going to be a healer. He is a healer, Mike. Yeah, I think we know essentially what Mixed Tony meant by Mike. that. Yeah, well, thank you for bringing up that long-seated nickname there, Tony. I think essentially what Tony did is that, you know, a la Godzilla in that lovely 1998 Roland Emmerich flick, he, before he left the game, laid a variety of eggs in the jungles of Fiji, and now they're starting to slowly awaken, and Joe is the form of one of them. Mike, uh, so we'll see. You it. thought I was making a spy bunker. I wasn't. I was in the ground. I was laying eggs. This is one of my clones. <laughs> he is hatched. His name is Joe. Uh, you could call him Joni, and he is coming here, and he is a probation officer. He's not, actually, he's not a probation officer. He's a construction worker. <laughs> they're, are they all going to say they're construction workers? Yes. No, you, you, are, you are an architect. Like They all base around the construction. Uh, the construction business so then they can one day form like a shady construction firm that's actually a, a front for some sort of other uh, undercover cop ring they're running. <laughs> an undercover cop ring? I, I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> Obviously, I'm not an expert on law and order. I'm an expert as yeah. on law and order as much as I am on Star Trek. <laughs> we'll have to figure out how that all works one day. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm really enjoying Joe as well. He, As you said, he seems... Very boisterous. I mean, he said he learned how to swim just to get onto a survivor. Very Jervis Peterson. We'll see if he celebrates in a in a very similar way as Jervis has done as of late. But he's another great personality to watch out for. I'm really liking uh, Cole as well, the mountaineering guy. I don't know. He gives me, like, JT vibes. JT 1.0. I'll just caution that. JT 1.0 vibes in terms of, like, here's this good old boy who, like, works 
in the outdoors and seems amicable enough and his fit is all heck. And so I think he could do really well in the game if he gets a good footing, quite literally. All right. And then uh, we have our third tribe, the Hustlers tribe. I feel like that this is the tribe most likely to be our hot mess Luzon tribe, Mike. I I was confused when they said hustlers. I thought they were going to say hustlers and divas because I was told at one point a diva is a female version of a hustler, of a a hustler. Uh, But alas, we move on here. Yeah, this is a really, really interesting group. First, let's talk about the age here. They are all in their mid to early 20s, -hmm. except for one. Lauren the Fisher, who, you know, unfortunately kind of sticks out there like a sore thumb. Could we potentially get... She could be like a breakout character in the season, I feel like. Oh, definitely. She's giving me, like, Lunch Lady Denise meets Lydia the Fishmonger <laughs> vibes. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. So, that high of a ceiling. Oh, I mean, I listen, I love them both, so I'm definitely not, uh, you know, damning them at all. But, I mean, let's look at, let's look at our, uh, you know, our fishermen, our seabound uh, contestants in the past. We've had Lydia, as I mentioned. We had Zoe Zanadakis. So, we know she has, a, and she does have a work hard, play hard mentality. So, I'm excited if that sort of lineage is any indication. Yes. Okay. Uh, we will see. When you combine Lydia and Denise, that she's going to do the pancake, and then she's going to serve it for lunch. Yes, she's going to turn that pancake into a necklace to give to you. Yes, uh, or at least uh, then clean up as the custodian. So that's uh, one of those things <laughs> is going to happen. Okay, uh, we have uh, Alexandra, a.k.a. Allie. She says she's a celebrity assistant. Do we know what celebrity she is an assistant for, or is she a celebrity assistant seeking a celebrity? No, she is a celebrity assistant to Glozell, the YouTube star. Okay, wow. Glozell, the YouTube star. Okay, well, I'll have to uh, check that out, Mike. Well, I think that's an immediate get for you, Rob. I think you have an easy in to have Glozell on your podcast now. I feel like that this is not the first time we've talked about Glozell. I feel like that she has come up in another podcast. Was she on one of the Joey Graceffa shows? I believe she was Escape the the Night. I think yes. it was called yes. uh, one of those Kurt Clark right, endeavors. So we need to get Kurt Clark on as our Glozell correspondent, <laughs> as somebody who's watched a, a completist of the Joey Graceffa works. Oh my God! What world do we live in now, in which Kurt Clark is an expert on Glozell? <laughs> Yes. Okay. Uh, So that's very exciting. Uh, We have Devin Pinto, whose shorts could not possibly be any lower in his cast picture. I'll admit, uh, you know, when we when I was setting up the gallery to to post this, I was given two choices of photos. I wanted to show off Devin's rock and bod because one thing I also want to talk about this cast and Josh mentions it as well. They all look extremely fit and buff, and Devin looks very lean and very muscular. The problem, like you said, there at least very little to the imagination. I mean, we're we're essentially like two inches from little Devin. Two inches. I think we're like uh, a millimeter. <laughs> <laughs> we're with yeah, we're within microscopic distance from little Devin there. Uh, but you know what? Uh, that means maybe a greater chance that we might see some accidental nudity on Devin's part. Devin might be the new Amanda Kimmel in terms of uh, the blur percentage going on in Survivor Triple H. Right. I mean, I can't imagine that he's going to be in the game for uh, you know more than six hours and then his shorts are going to be completely off. The waistband of his shorts is like a foot and a half away from his navel. Yeah, I mean, look at it. Listen, it's it's not unprecedented. We did see Sugar end up going topless in the very first challenge. So Devin uh, apparently has watched some Survivor. So if anything, it's just a reference to Survivor history. We have Ryan, who I think could be another fun character in the season, that he is uh, the bellhop, another uh, standout from this cast. Absolutely. Mr. Turtleneck and Shane himself. But I mean, he's not just a bellhop. He, he actually is sort of like like a a 23-year-old version of Debbie, in a way, where he talks about uh, in his uh, Meet the the Cast interview that he's been a waiter, he sold insurance, he was a Little League umpire, uh, he's worked at both houses of Congress, he's worked at the British uh, Consulate, so it's very clear that he has a lot of experience at a very young age, and he really prides himself on social relationships. He compares himself a lot to Todd Herzog, and I think aside from, you know, them both being very short, you know, very light. I do think there are some similarities in terms of he understands the managing of relationships. And in a tribe, which, as you said, might not 
be the most physically adept for challenges starting out. If you're assuming you're going to tribal council a lot, you need to maintain relationships fast. So I think Ryan might have the upper hand in that capacity. They do seem really outgunned when you compare them to the how physical the other tribes are, especially the Heroes tribe. Also, uh, one other person I really like in this cast is Simone. Uh, she was very fun in her video that I watched on CBS.com. I think that she could be another really fun person in this cast. Yeah, Simone has this great uh, Vietnamese saying that she brings up at the end. You know, you smile when they hurt you. You smile when they betray you. You smile when you kill them because the, the time you start smiling is the time that they notice. And that's, uh, I mean, that's taken right from the House of Black and White, essentially, written on the walls there. And I'm, I'm assuming Simone going to kind of be that silent assassin in a way. I'm, I'm very excited to see at least she's she's bringing a lot of game talk to the... She be- went to college in Bravos. <laughs> yes, she had, she got the full ride to uh, Bravos University. Go <laughs> assassins! Uh, so I, I think that they, ki- they kills in the game, literally. Uh, but I, I think that Simone out of all of them really brought a lot of game talk specifically. Obviously, a lot of people talk about their game in the course of these videos, but I feel like she was very pointed with the strategies that she wants to use. Now, that doesn't necessarily always pan out to a successful game, but the fact that she walks in already knowing exactly how she wants to do things could indicate her either doing extremely well or, you know, pulling a Garrett Adelstein and flaming out extremely quickly. That being said, Mike, those are our three tribes. Uh, we have not heard anything else about any major game-related twists. Anything else about this season that you want to touch on here in our kickoff special? Yeah, just a, a, a couple of quick things. Uh, the one thing that I noticed throughout the bios, uh, I'm assuming that, as you said before, in your myriad of preseason podcasts, I'm sure you're going to pour over the you know, what, what survivors do you are, remind yourself of or three words to describe you? I looked over the pet peeve specifically, and it's really interesting to me because of the 18 people, I'd say about eight or nine of them, almost half the cast, their pet peeve has something to do with laziness or bad work ethic or not organizing things. So there could be a potential for a lot of camp blow-ups if there are people that get easily angered by the fact that somebody left something out. Imagine that being in the great outdoors with people that are tired and hungry and, you know, irritated by essentially everything. I think considering what their pet peeves might be, and even people like uh, Ali or Rourke, who essentially say everything pisses them off, uh, there could be a lot of drama going on here from the get-go. I'm just really excited for this Survivor season with all new players. I think that uh, the All-Star season last season, I don't think, lived up to well, a lot of people's expectations for bringing back uh, these returning players. And I do think that Survivor, and while we always clamor for, oh, All-Stars, 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 I do think there's something about meeting these people for the first time and seeing how they're going to interact and just how unpredictable it can be. I do think that that's when Survivor is its most fun. You're preaching to the choir here, Rob. I completely agree. I always love new player seasons because that's what always brings me back to Survivor is this idea of 16 to 20 players from different walks of life coming together to build some sort of society and summarily vote each other out. And you get these really fun relationships throughout the entire course of Survivor, stemming back from, you know, Rudy and Rich all the way to even like Adam and Jay or, or Brett and Zeke from Millennials versus Gen. Next, this idea of here are two people that would ordinarily never meet in life, but they find some sort of similarity through the game, or they find a dissimilarity that allows them to become immediate antagonists, and we sort of see things build out from there. And I feel like this time, especially, I think the the tribe divisions allow you to really uh, build in a diversification of careers it seems like maybe like the only blending i see between careers from these people are like devin and ashley are both surf related people even though ashley is a lifeguard but that they're on different tribes everyone sort of seems like they're in their own different bucket that to see them interact it it really is a wild card as to who's going to get along and who's going to not which always makes for great tv in my book mike bloom is going to be hard at work are you working on anything else for parade in the survivor preseason mike uh i i'm thinking about it definitely mulling over maybe some preseason content as well before we get into the season itself which you said is less than a month away and once that happens i will be giving exit interviews with the most recently voted out person 
on Parade. Uh, you can always, you know, look me up. I think it's a uh, parade.com slash members slash Mike Bloom gives you access member to... Member Mike Bloom. I, I am a member. Um, not to not to be infused with little Debin. Uh, I am I am a member. I, on the other of, hand, was a man whore. <laughs> hey, past Mike. That was the past. This is the present, Mike. I'm a member of Parade and nothing more. Uh, but uh, you can find me there to show not only my Survivor coverage, but also my coverage of Big Brother 19. I'm still doing exit interviews. I was talking with you before we came on here, Rob. I cannot believe I still have half of the cast to still interview in the next three weeks, so there's going to be a lot going on uh, intensely over those next few weeks. I've also been covering Game of Thrones, which also wrapped up this past Sunday, so I've been doing recaps there through the Westeros World News Lens, which was a lot of fun, so check me out there. And one more announcement... Uh, you will be hearing my voice in a more recurring basis on the RHAP networks come the Survivor season in the fall. Okay, yeah, let's leave it there as a tease, but uh, very excited to get more Mike Bloom into your ears coming up this fall on RHAP. So in addition to that, you know, it's the start of the Survivor season. I always like to mention our Patreon program when we get to the start of a new season. If you think that I am working hard just listening to these podcasts, you have no idea how hard I'm working for the patrons of Rob Has a Podcast that uh, we have so much additional content that I'm creating for the patrons every single week that you really have no idea. We've added a lot of new incentives as well with some additional levels over the course of the summer. If you've never checked out our Patreon page or if you haven't checked it out in a while, go to robhasawebsite.com slash patron. You can see the five different tiers that we have of patronage. We also launched a brand new project called Rehapisodes over the summer, which are behind the scenes videos of different aspects of my life and the podcast, which I am very proud of the work that we've done with that. So check that out. And also, uh, you know, one of the other benefits that I really don't ever talk about with our patron program is that we are really making it as easy as possible for you to watch the international versions of these reality shows. Australia Alien Survivor is happening right now, and it's been really, really fantastic. Uh, I did not love the original Australian Survivor season with uh, some standout exceptions, but overall, Mike, I have really enjoyed Australian Survivor season two, and we have a lot of discussion going on there in our various patron groups. Yeah, I completely agree. I I, I think I enjoyed the OG Australian, not the OG, but I guess the new iteration of Survivor Australia last year uh, more than you did, but I enjoyed even more this here. Uh, if you want to hear a little bit of a time capsule take, I was on the Dom and Colin podcast talking with Colin Stone about you know my takes on the 16 remaining castaways before that all got blown to pieces by a, a, a series of uh, recent events. But I've been loving this so far. I think Nick's been doing fantastic coverage. So check that out on the Know It Oz or uh, We Can Call You the Dickhead if you're not checking it out. <laughs> right. Uh, that's up on our reality TV wrap ups feed. Uh, Nick really is doing a great job with all the Australian Survivor coverage and exit interviews uh, this season of the Australian Survivor players. So kudos to him. And in addition, uh, we also have some news about some of our upcoming events for the fall. Going to be in a uh, few different cities this fall for the Know It All. So uh, we're talking about that in the patron groups as well. So Rob has a website.com slash patron. Really proud of the community that we've put together over these last couple of years, Mike. And of course, always fun to talk with you about all of this stuff at a Mike Bloom type uh, uh-huh. hashtag today. I feel like I want to go with hashtag clony. No. Mm, yeah, I feel like we need to push that. And maybe we'll start to see this theory germinate if we see on Survivor 36 and forward if they keep going back to Fiji. If these strong, balder men who operate in various law enforcement capacities keep popping up, I think this clony theory might have legs. So very excited to continue onward with our Survivor coverage. We're going to have uh, Ramsey's Soto on the Big Brother podcast coming up on Thursday. We'll be back for more Big Brother again on Sunday night. And then kicking off next week, we will have the first of our three podcasts next week where we are going to be talking with two 
of the 18 players. That's a lot of math right there, but we're going to do it three times a week with two players. Two and two into 18 is good, <laughs> yeah, right? That's good. That's good. Josh Wiggler is going to be playing for me the interviews that he got for RHAP kicking off next week. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Go to robhasawebsite.com slash iTunes. We appreciate your feedback and star ratings. Those are the real heroes. Those are the real healers, the people that are leaving us star ratings on iTunes at the start of the season. Yes. Always Much like Allie, that. Allie is an assistant to a star. Uh, you can be an yes. assistant to a star rating. <laughs> yes. Uh, Robinswebsite.com slash iTunes. Looking forward to reading your comments on Robinswebsite.com. Take care, everybody. Have a good one. Bye.